Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, my name is Tim. Uh, I used to be the pastor here. Um, (laughs) Used to be one of the pastors. Hey, we're on a journey uh, that we are calling Daring Faith, and uh, we started last week. And today we are going to take a look at a story in the Gospels. Matter of fact, I think this is the only story that's repeated all four times in all four Gospels. Uh, So it must be a pretty important story, right? It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So maybe God wants us to see something about this story. And we're going to be over in Mark 6 and verse uh, 31 through 44. Uh, during this series, I mentioned earlier on that I do believe some people are going to experience some miracles in this journey of faith that our church is on. We're on it individually. We're on it as friends, as family, but we're also on it as a church. There are things I'm praying for, for our church to have a, have a bigger impact in our community and, and around the world. And Also, though, I'm sure in your life there are things that you want to see God do. And maybe there are spaces and places in your life, too, where you think the only way it's going to happen is if a miracle happens. There's just no way that I am going to experience what I want to experience if it doesn't involve God stepping into my situation. So that's what we're going to talk about today, that faith in Jesus can turn a little into a lot And this miracle is, as I said, over in Mark 6. Now, Jesus, let me set this up just a little bit. Jesus is uh, getting quite a following right now at this place in the gospel. And uh, people are, there's thousands of people following him wherever he goes. They follow him out into the desert. They follow him through the villages. There are people looking for him. They've heard. uh, Most of these folks are actually the downtrodden folks who don't have a lot. In this culture, there really was no middle class. There was a very small percentage of super wealthy people, and but by far, 98% of everyone was just living hand, you know, hand to mouth and doing what they could to survive. And so the people, when they when they heard good news, these people that were so downtrodden, they weren't used to getting any good news from anybody. Jesus comes along, and as we know, his job description is that he will bring good news. He'll bring good news to the poor, to those who don't receive uh, much good news. And so his following is building. He uh, has preached a sermon. He has preached almost all day long. His disciples have been with him. Uh, Jesus was 100% man as well as 100% God. So though he was living in the flesh uh, and he was God, his flesh gets tired. He's preaching. His voice is probably growing a little uh, weird, uh, tiresome, and, and he hasn't eaten, hasn't probably drank much, many fluids. As everybody's getting tired. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, look, well, let's pull away. We need to pull away from the crowd for a little while. 
And uh, the Bible describes going to these places like a lonely place or a solitary place. And so he says, let's go to a solitary place where we can rest a while. Uh, you know, we can get something to eat, and, and then we can go back to doing what we're called to do. And so uh, the crowd is, you know, huge. So, so they see a boat. They go, like, we can get away maybe and take a shortcut over to the other side of the lake by getting in this boat. So they get in the boat, and they take off well. I don't know if I have any, like, really fans of, like, big stars and stuff in here or if I, I won't ask for hands of ex-groupies or anything like that. But, you know, if you like someone, a band or something like this, uh, and you want to get to see them, you will do anything you can just to position yourself when you can just grab a glimpse of them, right? I mean, I had a I told the first service uh, when I was, like, 15, 16 years old, James Brown's band came to our town. And, uh, I mean, the Godfather wasn't with them, you know, but the band came. And I loved the funk. I loved Bootsy Collins. I loved the horn section. I loved, the, you know, the, uh, in, the, in the 60s, music was just... And, and so my friend and I, who was the bass player in our band, said, we're going to go see the James Brown band. Well, this is in the South, in the in a, uh, 60s, and in a National Guard armory in the middle of the summertime. And uh, we showed up, and we were the only two little punk white boys there. And... Uh, you know, the place was packed, and here's two 15-year-olds. We're, we're, like, looking for the bus. Where's the bus with Bootsy on it? Where's the bus, you know, with the rest of the horn players? And so we're sneaking around, trying to find them, just so we can get a little look at the band. And uh, then we finally made our way, I guess because we were so young, nobody picked on us. We made our way to the front of everybody, and there we were, right in front of the horn section and all. Well, these people, you know, they'd listened to Jesus. They had heard the good news. They knew the lake. They knew the area. And when they saw the boat heading that direction, they go, we know where he's headed. Let's cut him off at the pass. You know, so they all rush over to the other side of the lake so that they can be there when he gets there. Now, unlike maybe me or you, uh, when Jesus gets over there, though though he's very tired, he looks out on the mass of people, and it says he has compassion on them. Other than, I've had it with this, people tracing me all over the place. You know, it says he had compassion. So we're going to join there in Mark 6. You've got a handout, uh, a fill-in in your handout if you want to take that out and and follow along. I do that every Sunday. But in Mark 6, verse 31, let's start right there. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Mm. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus responds, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups 
on the green grass. So that they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Father, bless your word today. Thank you uh, for your scripture, for giving this to us, Father. Help us understand, uh, speak to our hearts, broaden our faith in you, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Help me. Give me the gift of teaching Lord, help me in my weakness, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus and his disciples look out, and there are thousands of people just waiting on them. And uh, like I said, unlike maybe you or I, Jesus has compassion on them, and he starts to teach them because they needed to hear some good news. They obviously liked what they had heard on the other side of the lake, and they wanted to hear more of it. So, I mean, that's a clue. And Jesus has something good to say. He has something good to say to us, something worth worth going after, something worth positioning ourselves at a place where we can hear what he's got to say, to hear the good news. He gets up late in the afternoon, and you know people are hungry. They're a long ways from home. They're out in a solitary place in the desert, and um, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, "Hey, you know what? How much do we have?" And they go find out, and he comes back and. Uh, and there's where the story really gets interesting. In your handout this morning, uh, you have a fill-in. And I've got, when you don't have enough is the way that I've titled this. Because a lot of us, we don't think we have enough. And maybe we don't to get done what we feel like we need to do. Or, or maybe there's something pressing in in our lives right now. There's a very serious situation. And we feel like we don't have what it takes to see this come to a good end. Or or to step up, or maybe we need a miracle. How do we know, and what do we do if we do need a miracle? Well, your first feeling is this. Admit that you have an unsolvable problem. Admit to God. Say to Him, I can't fix this. I can't do this. Admit that you have an unsolvable problem. In Mark 6 and verses 34 through 37 When Jesus landed and saw a huge crowd, he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, you don't need a shepherd if you have a fence. But if you don't have any fence around you, you need somebody to guide you. You need some help. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to his remote place, very late, send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. We find out at the end of the story, there's 5,000 men. If that is literally men, then there were probably another couple of thousand women or maybe another thousand children. So it could have been 8,000 people. Who knows how many? But it's a lot of people there, a lot of mouths to feed. And sure enough, the disciples find out they've got an unsolvable problem. How are they going to feed this amount of people at this time of the day with no resources practically available to them. Now, this is where, you know, we need to make sure when we're praying that what we need indeed is a miracle. You know, a lot of times we, we go, God, I need a miracle. It's like, I need more money, God. I need more money when what I need to be doing is I need a budget. 
We keep thinking that more money will solve the problem, but we don't have a budget. And so we pray for more money. That's, that's not maybe what you need. What you need is a budget. So it's good to, to look, you know, and see what you have. Or, or your health, you know, your health is not good. You're not taking care of yourself. And, and you're like, I need a miracle, God, do this, you know, when maybe you just need to make a trip to the gym. And uh, it's like, I need, I just want God to zap me, you know, bring me a miracle. I know, I understand, I do. It's like, just zap me, let me paddle out without having to work out, you know, at this age. You know, I just want jet propulsion, God, help me. Give me the miracle of paddling, you know, that kind of thing, instead of trying to stay fit enough to paddle out. But we hit spots, as footy as those things are, we hit spots where we honestly do need God to intervene. There is nothing we can do. And when we get to that point, that's where we do want to say, God, you know, I can't do anything about this. But watch the disciples. Watch how they respond. Because I think they, they respond a lot like we do. In Mark 6.35, it says, by this time it was late in the day. Well, let me ask you this. Why didn't these great leaders plan on doing something before now? It's late in the afternoon. Nobody has planned to take care of this crew. Where are the leaders in this group? You know what hurts us? This is your next fill-in, procrastination. Procrastinating. We push ourselves into a corner where we think we need a miracle because we put things off. It'll go away if I don't deal with it. If I just won't think about it. And, I mean, I can see the disciples, you know, I don't know what they were thinking. They're just enjoying the moment. You know how you get caught up in the moment, and then all of a sudden you find out, oh, you mean i got to solve this problem? And so procrastination just, it, it will hurt us in this process. It rarely ever helps to keep procrastinating and keep putting something off. And the next thing they do, look in uh, verse 36, Mark 6, 36. Send the people away so that they can go. It's their fault. You know, blame. Just blame somebody for why this situation. It's their fault. They didn't have to come all the way out here in the desert to hear you, Jesus. You know, we didn't promise them a meal. They didn't pay. When they paid the conference free, we, fee, we, said, we didn't say anything about a box lunch. I mean, we didn't say anything. Uh, you know, it's, not, it's, their, it's their stomachs that are hungry, not ours. We, I don't know why, it's them. They should have brought some food with them. Blame, we procrastinate, we put off, we blame. Uh, Rick Warren says that uh, you take the word blame, and, and when you blame people, it means to be lame. <laughs> so don't, you know, don't blame people. It's very lame to blame people. And then in verse 37, it says, they would take, I mean, here's, here's the response, that would take more than a half a year's wages. So now what happens? We procrastinate, we put it off, we blame others, and now we hit worry. What am I going to do about this? This is insurmountable. I don't know how I'm going to fix this. Now we get anxious. We start stressing out. We're like, I don't, you know, well, we don't have that much money. Where do you go to get the food? There's not enough time. We stress. And, uh, and then you just end up screaming, you know, ah, and you freeze up. But what did they forget? And maybe we forget this too. They forgot who they were standing next to. They were standing next to Jesus. I mean, they had already seen some of the things Jesus had done. And he's the one saying to them, how much food do you have? We forget that God can use what we have. 
Has God ever called you to do something impossible? Has he? He will. He's good at it. He's good at calling you to do something you cannot do in your own strength. That is what the life of faith is all about. He loves to stretch our faith, to push it out. And uh, many times we think God's got the wrong guy because we, we look at our resources and we say, you know, I just don't have what it takes. We were singing a while ago. The more names started coming to me. And the other, this week when I was preparing, I thought of Moses who told, you know, gave God every excuse under the sun. I stutter. I can't talk. I'm not a good leader, you know. And there's a point in time where, where God asked Moses, he says, what's in your hand? And he says, a staff. And remember that? He throws a staff down. It turns into a snake. You think about Abraham in his 90s. He and Sarai, they're in their 90s, no kids, you know. And, and uh, God takes him outside says, look at the stars. You know, you're, you're going to have that many kids before it's all over. And then changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many. And he hasn't even have a, had a child yet. <laughs> How would you like that? Yeah, God changed my name to father of a multitude. How many kids do you have? None. How old are you? 95. I mean, that, you know, that's the point of like, you know, really God's got to come through, right? I mean, seriously. So God's good at this. Isaiah, you know, Isaiah said, here I am, God, send me. Whatever I have, whatever I am, whoever I am, send me. I'll do what you call me to. Gideon, Gideon hiding out, the coward, the smallest in his family, hiding out, you know, and an angel comes to him and says, Hail, mighty man of valor. (laughs) What did the angel see in Gideon that he didn't see in himself? And when I was sitting there, I thought about David, little David coming up to see Goliath, you know, and they put the wrong, they put Saul's armor on him and they try to give him everything he needs to win the battle. And instead he takes it off. He says, this isn't me. I'm a little kid. I'm a little guy. I'm used to using what I use as to protect the sheep. And so it says he took his staff, what he was used to and what he had, he took his staff and he looked up for five smooth stones because that is all he had and that was what he was used to using. And then there's the woman, you know, that Elijah, uh, he goes to her and says, you know, what can I do for you? And she says, look, I don't have any food. I got a little bit of oil. I'm going to make a little bit of bread and I'm going to eat it and die, me and my son. And, and he says, you know, he asks, give the little bit that you have and with the blessing, God does an amazing thing with it. And that's your next feeling, and that is that give God what little you have. Give God what little you have. Jesus asked in verse 38, he says, how many loaves do you have? That's a good question for you this morning and me. How many do you have in that area that you think you lack in? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Do an inventory. I don't know how long this took. 5,000 men, the disciples going out asking questions, doing an inventory, surveying the crowd, probably thinking, man, this, maybe this crowd will have enough for us to get by. But only one guy steps up, right? Like I said, this story is in all four of the Gospels. And in the other Gospels, we get a little bit more pictures, and it comes into a full-blown portrait of what God is doing. But there's a little boy there. A little guy with five loaves of bread and two dried fish. Now, I can see the disciples going out, you know, 
They wore these robes and all back in those days. And I can see some people that probably had some pretty good-sized picnic baskets when they were coming through. Hi, George. You know, <laughs> putting it up under their robes. And, but this little guy, this little boy didn't do that. This little boy took what he had and he offered it up. And he said, here it is. This is what I've got. And he was the only one that did that out of the whole large crowd. And, you know, mom packed his sack lunch that day when he went off, not knowing that the day he walked out of his house, God was going to use him to give an example that we're talking about right now of how God can do so much with so little. It's not the amount you have to offer. It's will you offer it to God or not? That's the point. And so... uh, Little boy offers it up to him. They take it. And uh, you probably think you don't have enough in your life in some areas. Like maybe you think you don't have enough time to do anything else than what you're doing. How much time do you have? Have you sat down? Have you looked at it? You may say, I don't have enough money to make a difference. Have you sat down and looked at what you do have? You may say, I don't have enough talent. Have you sat down and done an inventory of who you are and what God has done in you? Have you done that? Have you seen what you have? Time, finances, talents, the compassion you have. What do you have? Some of our relationships, let's say in in our marriages, you're like, I about had it. I am depleted. I am almost broke emotionally, right? What do you have? Do you have one more kind gesture? You're like, I might have one left in me. Do you have one more act of forgiveness? One more. Do you have one more time of just extending your hands and your arms to a person? One more in you. Or have you given up and not done an inventory to see just what you have to make a difference? It's easy to procrastinate. It's easy to blame others and then kind of get sketched out when you know things don't go right because we have not taken a look at what we do have because we think it's so minuscule that there's no way God could do anything with it. Think back to David. Think back to Moses. Think back. God does this all the time. Matter of fact, he loves to do it when we think we're running a deficit. God loves to come and do something very large. That's how our faith grows and that's how God gets notoriety. Okay, nobody could have done this but God. Nobody could have taken what little I had and turned it into so much but God. So we admit, you know, we have an unsolvable problem. This is to kind of get us in a position of experiencing a miracle. We give God what we have. Just give what you have. You know, God already, over in John, John's version of this, by the way, it says this. He says that Jesus asked this only to test them. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. You know, God already has in mind what he's going to do for you right now. It's like before you even know you have the problem, he knows what the solution is going to be. Because that's who he is. Jesus. He already knows. And he knows how he's going to deal with it. And so, we take the small amount that we have, whatever it is, and we place it in his hands. And then your next fill-in, your third one is this. Then we put it all in his hands. You give it to him. Mark 6, 41, it says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish, 
And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. In uh, John's account is where we read about the little boy, that it was Andrew who found the little boy who came upon him and, uh, and brought his meal that he had. And... Um, Put it into Jesus' hands. You know, no matter how small it is, if you will put it into his hands, God can do something with it. God can multiply it. He can change it. Can you imagine the the little kid going home that afternoon? I mean, his mom gives him a sack lunch. You know, it's five little barley. Barley is the poor man's food of that day. And this was barley bread and small pieces and two dried fish. How appetizing. And, uh, you know, he goes off to hear Jesus and then when he comes back, he's dragging probably, you know, two or three baskets full. And mom looks at him like this when he comes in the door. Where have you been? And he goes, Mom, you wouldn't believe it. This, Jesus, he just multiplied my sack lunch. Where'd you get that food, boy? <laughs> mom, I promise you, Jesus multiplied it. Get in your room when your dad gets here. Now, you better tell me the truth. But honest, Mom, he multiplied it. You know, that's things I think about sometimes. <laughs> a little guy, I, I mean, I wish they wrote a little more and uh, <laughs> let us know a little more. Uh, but, you know, put it all in his hands. Put what little bit you have, what little bit of love you have, what little bit of finances you have, your situation, a little bit of hope that you have, the little bit of working hard. Maybe you're on a job and you're like, I have worked and I have worked and it's, not, it's just not paying back, but I can't go anywhere else. I don't have another job. What do you have to give? What Do you have one more day of work to give God? One more day. Just one more day to him and say, I'll go to work tomorrow, Lord. Here it is. It's yours. You gave me this job. I don't like it. But you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to be the best employee that I can be tomorrow. This is in your hands. And see what God does. Take what you have. No matter how small, put it in his hands. And you're sitting in a situation and you're in an opportunity of seeing God do something miraculous. What's in your hand. Put it from your hand into his hands. And then lastly, number four is expect God to multiply it. Expect God to multiply it. Have an expectation of good. And the minute you start thinking things like, oh, God, you know, I'm insignificant to God. I don't matter to God. There's so many other people. There's so many other situations. The minute you start thinking like that, just take that thought. I'm going to tell you something. That's not God talking to you like that. You know, the, the enemy comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the Bible says. Take away from you. Jesus has come to give you life and life more abundantly. Jesus doesn't talk to you like that. Jesus says, take what little bit you have and put it in my hands And let's see what happens. Expect me to do something here. That is faith. That is that daring faith where we step out once again, whether it's in our relationships or on the job or in this church and our outreach or what God has for us as a people at the vineyard. You know, it is expecting God to do something awesome with even the small amount I have to give him. So I give it to him. So what do you have to give him? What do you have to give him this morning? You know, Jesus isn't just about getting by because in this story, it says everyone ate and was what? Satisfied. I mean, they're like, whoo, 
like you're going to be at this game today, you know. If you're eating all that food, all this, those two games, and you're like, wow. That's the way the whole 5,000 were. They had more than enough. More than enough. This is, let me just say this to, um, for those of you who are like, you study the Bible. Let me drop a bone in here. Um, This is all a shadow of what was going on in the Old Testament, or at least a clearing. The Old Testament was a shadow. This is, uh, see the food. Psalms 23 talks about a shepherd that would come, right? He makes me to lie down in what? Did you read this passage? Did you see where it said green grass? They're in the desert, dude. Now, I passed by this about four times. I was slow. But I caught it on about the fourth time through. I said, where did green grass come from? They were in a lonely place in the desert. Whoa. Then I thought, ooh, Psalms 23. The good shepherd, he's going to come and lead by the still waters. There was a lake there. Do you see Nobody could weave this stuff together like this. I mean, take the Isaiah passages 750 years before. Weave all these stories with all of these many authors and all that no computers. And all of this pointing right straight toward Jesus. And here is Jesus in this one story fulfilling so many prophecies about who he would be when he came. He's the good shepherd. Pointing to the kingdom in the day and time when all there will be plenty for everyone. There will not be one hungry person, not one lonely. He sets them down in fifties. He sets them down in hundreds. He puts them in community on green grass with plenty to eat. What a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. You see this? I mean, if you see this, you get stoked. You know, you will. I mean, it's like been 40-some years for me, and I still like, when I see things like this, I'm like, how did I miss this for the first 20 years of my life? You know, it's like, I should have seen. Why didn't I see it? I mean, this stuff, Jesus is doing everything he can to let us know who he is and why he has come. Because he loves you and he cares about you. And he's invited you into this whole story, this narrative of following him in a world that is desperately seeking to know what it is all about. So what do you have? What are you, where's the deficit in your life today that you think you need a miracle in? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your business? Is it in your faith walk with God? Are you waning? Is it a health issue? Like if God doesn't come through, I'm I'm in trouble. What is it that you can give to God this morning? The little bit that you can give that God can come through and turn into much. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.